We are recording. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of No Driving Gloves. I am Sean, and joining us today is a very special guest. Ben Keating is on the program with us. Behind me here, you can see one of the uh, gorgeous Viper Exchange Vipers that uh, Ben brought to racetracks along with all of the folks that were involved in the Viper Exchange program. Had Bill Riley on the show a week or two ago. Picked Bill's brain about what happens, happened, what went on during the Viper program. I picked his brain, uh, we picked his brain regarding the differences between the Viper and the Mercedes and the Ford GT and all that stuff. And we could get into a little bit of that with you, Ben, but I know you know things have kind of moved on from the Viper as far as the Viper on the racetrack with you these days. You're still, you know, you're still out there, you're still racing. You, you ran the Ford GT, uh, ran it at Le Mans. I'm not going to get into that because that wrenched my heart and I'm happy to get into it. Yeah, yeah, we got into it with Bill. If you want to get into it some, we can too. That's not a problem. But without further ado, that's Mr. Ben Keating. I'm going to let you introduce yourself and just let folks know who you are and what you have uh, going on right now out in Texas. And I mean, you're you're global, man. You're all over the place. Tell the folks folks who you are. uh, I, I, who I am? Hey, I, I'm I'm a uh, I'm a 49 year old car dealer from Texas who is lucky enough to get to play with cars in my recreation uh, of racing as well as pay for it by uh, playing with cars at work. I have 18 dealerships in the state of Texas representing 17 different brands. Yeah, I've been racing since 2007. Uh, that was a result, uh, as a result of a Christmas present from my wife. Uh, you came to it that late in life, really? Yes. Yeah. Okay, I, I didn't realize that. I thought you'd always been racing. I had no idea. No, uh, 2007, uh, it was my very first race. Uh, it did not go very well. <laughs> I was, uh, in my first six races, I was, uh, involved in six incidences. Not all of them were my fault, by the way, Uh, but uh, they put me on probation, basically said, if you have another incident in the next year, we're kicking you out. Wow. That's exactly what I needed. You got Uh, a little little, little smack on this. I had to dial it back a little bit. I was trying too hard. But uh, one thing that uh, a lot of people don't necessarily know about me is that I went through drug rehab twice in high school. And no idea. one thing that I uh, enjoy making the comparison to is that my personality is no different now than it was then, uh, but my drug of choice uh, is legal. It's a race car. I'm very lucky to be able to afford my habit. You definitely jumped into the deep end of it. There's no doubt about that. I really did thought you'd been racing longer than that, Ben. I had... No idea that you had gone from just jumping in in 2007 to competing at, at the highest levels of sports car racing you know, all over it, the world, man. That's that's a in, that's a quick uh, progression. In 2006, I uh, was given a what I would now call a, a DE weekend at Texas World Speedway in College mm-hmm. Station, and I took a, a literally took a Viper off the showroom floor of a Dodge dealership. I wore shorts. Uh, I did not bring a helmet. I did not bring tools. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Uh, I had to borrow a helmet, which was a really nice, open-faced, old-school, goofy-looking helmet. It took me about two hours before I boiled my brake fluid. 
uh, and uh, you know had an exciting excursion through the field off of turn nine at Texas World. I came in and described what was uh, what happened, and the guy next to me in the garage says, "Well, it sounds like you boiled your brake fluid." I'm a car dealer, and I'm supposed to know all this stuff about cars. <laughs> How about that? And I, I said, I have no idea what you're talking about, dude. <laughs> you know, he came over with his jack and his tool set, helped me bleed my brakes, and I was good to go, but I was completely hooked. In my second event, my second driver education weekend, I went around to all the Viper people, and I asked them what I needed to do to make my car a better track car. I added it all up and it was about 15 grand worth of stuff. Being the the old used car guy, I realized that if I take this brand new Viper and I put all this stuff on it, then it's going to be a track car and it's going to be worth about 15 grand less. So it's really about a $30,000 spend. Or more. <laughs> or more. Yeah, you're, you've exponentially killed that car at that point. Definitely. There was a, a full-blown race car that it had a couple hundred grand spent on it for sale for 50 grand. And I decided that was the best value at my second weekend of DE, my second DE event. uh, I ended up buying a race car because I thought that was the best value. And at my third DE weekend, I ended up racing, even though I had no business in the race but because I bought a race car out of that series, they assumed that I intended to be in the race. Was it Nara? Were you in a Viper or was it? What? Uh, no, this was the old school before Nara. It was uh, Viper days. Okay. The Viper, the Viper Racing League. Uh, and so I did the Viper Racing League as a result of Viper days in 07 all the way through 2012. Okay. So, uh, so for five years, uh, I, I did uh, Viper Days. And then in 11 and 12, instead of, you know, I bought a Comp Coupe Viper. I had it all prepped to move over to World Challenge. Chrysler had come out with the ACRX. Mm-hmm. They'd come out with their own spec series, Racing a Viper it was being hosted by NARA, uh, yeah. and I decided that that was more economical. I was right. I stayed in that series, raced in the Viper Cup for three years. Okay. So you uh, were Rob and Tom, uh, was it Tom Driscoll? Were they, were they involved in that back then with NARA? I can't remember. Uh, yes. Okay. Rob, Rob was for sure. I, I, uh, oh, uh, no, it's Tom... Uh, Ah, uh, yes, Tom. I can't Australian or Australian or, or he's right. Australian. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know Tom. Yeah. Tom and I have punted each other on car tracks before. It's it's wonderful. It's a small world. Nice. <laughs> it's a small world. So the first race car that you bought that was was that the Comp Coupe that you're talking about or or oh, no no that okay. was the two, what, what was two, the first two thousand model GTS okay two thousand model Viper GTS that had been turned into a full-blown race car, full cage, full fuel cell, you know, no interior, uh, all the upgrades. You know, they took a, a really nice, expensive street car, completely tore it down and built it up into a, a, a nice race car. So basically what you did with that car is 
coming from the instructor side of this, you did everything that we would have advised against. We would have basically said, find a nice street car, leave it on street tires, drive for a couple years. And you went, eh, <laughs> just give me, give me the full, the full load, man. I'm going, I'm going. Well, I, I was correct that it was the best value. Yeah, you know, yeah I, probably. I paid, I paid 50 grand. I raced it for two years and I sold it for 60 grand. Oh, holy crap. How do I get that kind of luck? I don't, I don't get that kind of luck. That's awesome. Uh, well, first of all, uh, I made a good deal on it when I bought it. Yeah. And second of all, uh, after I sold it, it had just won the national championship in its class. So that'll, that'll do it. I gave it that'll, a little That'll comment. bump the value. Yeah, that'll bump yeah. the value. Provenance uh, is always history. a good thing. Yeah, it's, it's right. always, that'll always bump the value better than mods will. That's for sure. That's awesome. I ended up, uh, you know, I ended up looking for what was going to be next. I had done very well in the club racing deal you know obviously i mean i barely made it through the uh, the uh, great recession nobody wanted to give a loan to a car dealer right and uh, uh, at that point in time and we barely made it through but when 11 12 13 14 15 came along they were the best years in the car business that i had ever seen and so uh, when when we realized we were going to make it uh, and, and uh, we were doing well, I made the decision to make the jump from the Viper Cup over to the uh, American Le Mans Series in 2013 mm-hmm. in the, uh, the GTC class, because at the time that was the Pro-Am class. Yeah. Uh, and the reason I went there specifically was because I was so connected to Viper you know, through Tomball Dodge, through Viper Exchange, we were the number one volume Viper dealer in the world for eight or nine years straight. And so I knew that Chrysler, you know, Dodge, SRT as a factory program was racing in ALMS in the GTSR. And I wanted, I made the decision to stay close to Viper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the easiest way to do that, ironically, was to race a Porsche uh, in GTC so that I was at the track, on the track at the same time with the Vipers. And it paid off because that is how uh, I was able to convince uh, Ralph Gilles and, uh, and Bill Riley to build a GT3 version of the GTSR. And I was actually working for SRT at that time. I was one of the SRT track experience instructors and, and one of the very fortunate four that got to go out on the SRT tour when we toured all over the country with the SRT vehicles and, and <laughs> met you during that time, actually. And Nice. Um, yeah. yeah, it was uh, one of the, it was, I think it was probably mid-Ohio. You happened to be up at, at the SRT hospitality area. We had, a, it was a TI Automotive uh, Viper that we had okay. up there on, on display. Yeah, um, that was uh, 2015. Yeah, you came up there and hung out with us for a little while. And ever since then, it's been I've just been following along with what you've done and, and watching, watching how you've actually progressed as a driver, I didn't realize that the timeline was as compact as it actually is because where you have come from – club racing in 0607 or HPDE club race 0607 to about 2012 and then jumping into where you jumped into that's a massive progression that's a huge jump man so like how 
did you just find yourself in a position where you just had a natural aptitude for this or well are you I, are you constantly yes. working uh, uh, yes i uh, you know uh, some may call it a natural aptitude uh, some may call it a, a, a drug addiction well, uh, but that'll yeah, that'll do it though. I mean, that'll, that'll uh, definitely. The uh, you know, I having courage to go out there and try something behind the wheel of anything with a motor has never been my problem. I was able to explore the limits pretty quickly. Uh, I very quickly learned that it was uh, much cheaper to stay within the limits, stay on the uh, nine tenth side, not uh, the eleven. Uh, that's right. Yeah. And <laughs> so I was pretty successful pretty quickly. It's funny when I think back about it now, but in 2010, 2009, my grandparents died. They left me a little bit of money. Instead of doing the wise thing that would be uh, to, you know, to save that money, I decided that my grandparents would really want me to do something that, that I always wanted to do. Your grandparents and, wanted you to race at Le Mans. <laughs> no, at Daytona. At Daytona. At Daytona. Okay, at Daytona. At Daytona. So, so in either way, I took all the money that my grandparents left me, and I went out to find a ride in the 24 hours of Daytona, January 2011. Ended up with Buckler at TRG. Okay. Uh, and uh, my co-driver there, uh, my pro, one of my pros there was Dominic Farnbacher. Yeah. And... Uh, I just fell in love with Dominic and we had a great relationship. I'm the one that got Dominic the job uh, to be in the GTSR with, uh, with Chrysler. Cool. I fell in love with, you know, not just racing or, you know, sports car racing, but specifically I really fell in love with endurance sports car racing because, you know, even though I had an engineer and a coach and I'd done everything right uh, from my perspective, uh, on the club racing side or any type of what I'll call sprint racing, when you're the only one that's behind the wheel of a car, your perspective is, I just got all of it. I got everything there is to get. I had won a national championship in my class in 08, 09, and 2010, and 2011, and 2012. I had done extremely well. I thought I was hot shit. Then you get into the car with some of these other guys and you realize how slow you really are. It's far and away the best development tool to be able to say that I got in the exact same car at the exact same time on the exact same track. I have all the data available to me to see what he was doing different than me. There is no better tool for learning Agreed. and developing. I've been with Jerome Bleekenmullen now for seven years. That's one of the reasons why we've been together for so long is uh, we just work really well together. I know how to adapt my driving style differently than what than his driving style, but I learned so much from looking at his data. Yeah. You know, I went back, Callie, I can't remember when. I think at the end, like of, of like 16 or 17, I went back to a Viper Days event. It was very impactful for me uh, because I realized that either I've gotten a whole lot better in the last three years or these guys have gotten a whole lot slower. Uh, no, it's it's the latter. It's definitely that's not. right. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. the latter. And it's you 
you're comfortable drinking from a fire hose is what it sounds like. I mean, you're, that's you're, right. Because you're passionate about it. And that's, that's really probably what it boils down to is you just absolutely love it. So you're living it. And that's, that's a cool thing. That's a very yeah. cool thing to see the evolution that you've had over the, the last seven or so years. No one can deny the progression that's been there. Number one, number two, I still don't understand. There are some people where you look out and you're labeled as gentleman drivers. Are you? I mean, absolutely. Yes. I love love that term. Do you really? Because you're more, you're a pro man. You're, you're, I'm not, Uh, I am. I just got through describing to you how much quicker. Yeah. Those guys are than I am, but you are living. I'm still able to go out and hire guys that are getting paid to drive who are a hell of a lot faster than I am. Sure. I have yet to have anybody pay me to <laughs> okay. drive their race car. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll take, I'll take that. I'll take that. Listen, I already said it. I'm a 49 year old car dealer from Texas. I am never going to make my living driving a race car. I am in a sweet spot right now where my eyesight hasn't dropped off a cliff yet. Right. My hearing, my hearing is there, but I don't need it yet. My reflexes are still okay. How long can I uh, keep this up? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I can keep it up for a really long time. You saw what Paul Newman did. We don't. We want you in the car. That's right. I don't expect to stay as competitive as I am now, but I do feel like I am a, in a little bit of a sweet spot. Uh, right now, you know, I don't look at it and go, man, imagine how good I would be if I was started at 25 instead of 35 or you know, five, uh, like the norm. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's the norm these days. I look at it and say, man, I'm just grateful to be where I'm at right now. That's the right attitude to have. And th- as far as the co-drivers that you've had in the car with you over the last several years, the cool thing about those guys, and I know it from being around them over the years. I mean, I've been involved in motorsports since I was four in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. And endurance sports car racing, really, I'll race anything. I'm, I'm equal opportunity. I don't really care. I don't care what motor's in it, what wheels are driving it, how much it weighs, what tires. Just give me a car, and, and I'm fine. Yeah. But I've been fortunate enough to be around the endurance paddocks long enough to know that a, a Bleakamolen or a Farnbacher or you name any one of those guys that is literally at the top level of their game, they're also looking for improvements. They're also always looking for what you're looking for as far as they, from what I've seen of them anyways, they don't have the mindset that they've got it. They always have the mindset that there's something, there's incremental stuff to to get there. And that has to be really cool to be around on a a constant basis. Especially on those, that, that one or two times a year, when I'm faster than he is, uh, uh, that's awesome. That's the most fun of the year. You just get to come back in and go, what happened? (laughs) Uh, That's, that's, I get to come back in and say, Hey, you know, do you want to go review some data and look at the video? You know, that's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. So we've got you. I don't know how long I have you for, I would love to get, and I asked Bill this when, when he was on the show, I asked him what the differences were between the Viper and the Mercedes. And he said one of the biggest differences, honestly, was just a four or five year newer car. And the, he said the Mercedes was was just a more reliable package overall. And ah, the Viper I mean, was I, more of a sledgehammer. I, I, but I want your take on that. 
Uh, I got to be careful. You have to remember You're Bill Riley built the GT3R Viper. I know. He designed it. He built it. He didn't have anything to do with the design or building of the AMG. Uh, and True. so, you know, it, it, it's like asking him to compare his child with, uh, with with another child, uh, and uh, what I'll say is, uh, it was really interesting for me to watch the progression of what happened to the Viper from its first year in 2014 to its last year in 2016 within IMSA. Uh, and the reason I say that is, you know, 2014 was the very first year of the United Sports Car Championship. Mm -hmm. the combination of Grand Am and, and ALMS. Mm -hmm. And for that class, they were still trying to figure out what it was going to be. It was not a GT3 class to begin with. The The first year, kind of the, the baseline car that everybody was trying to measure up against was a GT3 Cup Porsche. Porsche negotiated that deal in... Uh, as part of the GTC class that was coming from ALMS. It was really unusual in 2014 for us to have a GT3 car competing in the GT Daytona class. At that time, we had more downforce than any other car. Uh, and it was, even though you think about this big displacement, V10, uh, and all this torque, in 2014, where the Viper had its huge strong suit, was in the tight, tight, twisty, you know, downforce tracks. Mm -hmm. Then by the time we got to 2016, it became a GT3 class where all the cars were GT3 spec cars. And most of those cars had either had an evolution or were newly updated uh, by the time we got there. Uh, over that three or four year period, biggest difference to me is that the manufacturers realized that the way you make a fast race car in BOP racing is to have a lot of downforce. It doesn't do you any good to put a bunch of power in there. They're just going to pull the power out. Having a car that has a ton of downforce makes it easier to drive, makes it easier to hide the lap time, makes kind of makes it easier to do everything. But when we were in the Viper in 2016, we had way less downforce than all the other cars, and all we had was top speed. Uh, and so we went from one side of the spectrum all the way to the other in a period of three years, and it was pretty interesting to watch. Uh, that had to be a weird evolution. It's, 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 sort of, it's sort of backwards from what you expect it to be, right? Like, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I have a huge emotional connection to the Viper, to the brand, not just personally, but business-wise. Yeah, right, rightly so. I hated to see the car go, but if the car was going to be competitive, it needed to have an evolution done to it where we would add a ton of downforce. Obviously, Bill was willing to do that. It was going to be extremely expensive. We had a whole regime change at Chrysler. Mm -hmm. They weren't interested in road racing. And you the know, Viper was going away anyway, and they, they probably right. knew it. Yeah, they, they knew so, it, was, it was going back. I wasn't, I wasn't willing to pay for it. That same time, the AMG had had a really successful year in Europe. I think they got four out of the top five at the Nürburgring, swept mm -hmm. the podium at the Nürburgring in 2016. 
and they wanted to come to the U.S. It's a really interesting dynamic, but at that time, Multimatic was working with Bill on building the LMP2 car. Multimatic does a bunch of business with AMG. And so AMG was looking to Multimatic for some direction on what do you think we should do to bring this car to the US? Everything just seemed to come together for us to race the AMG. And so that's what we did. Did it well. I mean, you guys definitely represented well. Well, to me, the AMG, of course, okay, I'm biased. To me, the AMG is the best GT3 car out there. I say that for two reasons. Number one, because, again, I've already said that I feel like downforce is the key to the best GT3 car. Clearly, in 2016, in 2017, and 2018, we had the most downforce. IMSA really struggled to figure out what to do with us in terms of competitiveness because we didn't have top speed. Uh, We didn't always have lap time, but we were still able to do pretty well in races. And our BOP was so, to me, so much crazy different than all the other cars. We were the heaviest car. Every other car, uh, we had a, a higher minimum ride height than every other car in the class. And we were the heaviest car in the class, which to me says, you know, that car is an outlier. On the if you as you look at the BOP chart, you go that car is an outlier, which to me is the definition of it must be the most well designed car in the field. Right, uh, they had uh, to but, do all that to it to bring right. it to, to rein it that's, in. That's right. To me, the way I would describe it is that I was most impressed. You know, the modern GT3 cars now have a lot of electronic aids. Uh, I call them electronic nannies. Do you? Uh, it, do you I, Let's stick on that for just a second. Well, I'll you come back it? to it. Okay, I, just ABS, so, man. I want to. I want to. I want to go to that. So, uh, yeah, I've got ABS and I've and got TC. control. Yeah, uh, and the Viper was great. The Viper was bulletproof. We could have a problem with the Viper and fix it on pit road and not lose a lap. It was bulletproof, my opinion, uh, which is opposite of what Bill said. But <laughs> you know, uh, the AMG. If you have something that breaks, you're not going to be on the podium. Bill designed the car, the Viper, to be able to fix in in a couple minutes. You're not going to fix anything on the AMG in a couple minutes. It's going to uh, require a team of Germans in, in white coats to descend on it with laptops? or just It's not any quick connects. In the Viper, if you make a mistake, it's going to cost you half of a second. You make a mistake in a corner in the Viper, it's going to cost you half a second. In the AMG, because the ABS and the traction control are so much better refined and you have so much more downforce, uh, when you make a mistake in the AMG, it costs you a tenth or two. I'm able to explore the limits a lot harder. I'm able to make a mistake and not give up lap time. I'm able as a amateur, as a gentleman driver, to be much closer to Jerome Bleekemolen's time. Right. It makes me, as the AM, look better. Do uh, you it, enjoy driving the GT3 cars with the 14 levels of traction control and the ABS more? 
or less. This is the thing. Like, I, I totally understand that they do level the playing field when it comes to the, the gentleman driver to the pro. But when so everybody's when I, breaking I, it to 150. My opinion on that whole subject has changed in the last 24 months. Okay, cool. I, I would have told you, yes, I love it because it levels the playing field because I have much lower chance of having a wreck cost me less money from saving equipment. Yeah, totally. And it levels the playing field. And I liked that. Now I'm doing a full season in WEC in the world endurance championship Mm -hmm. uh, where we're all driving GTE cars. We're all driving all the, the GTM class is made up of last year's pro cars. We have no ABS. Right. As I have gotten comfortable in that car, I've realized that not having ABS is one of the easiest ways for me to make up the difference compared to my competitors. My other gentleman driver competitors, to me, the you know, we're all gonna hit the throttle at the same force. Mm-hmm. You know, hey. It going in a straight line, everybody's the same. You're going to show your difference in skill in cornering and in braking. I have gotten really good at braking. If you're great uh, at modulation and, and threshold, man, you, you've, uh, got a, uh, you've got a massive edge. And now, now I look back on it and I go, man, I'm so glad we don't have ABS. Because now with ABS, all those gentlemen drivers can just dive bomb, can't pass going in. You can't pass going into the break zone because everybody's doing the same shit. Yeah, and that's that's where I was going to go with that. Like everybody's breaking at the hundred board, everybody's tipping in early and letting it ride on the TC through the apex and off. And you know, hearing that those cars like the whole way around the corner, you just hear them ratcheting on the TC. I've driven some. I haven't driven a proper GT3 car, but I've driven some supercars, hypercars that that have some very aggressive TC systems that you can lean on like that. Like you just said, it's in the way. It's in the it's yeah. in the way of it's in the way of allowing you to bring your talent to the surface and yeah. And you know, so now I would say I I don't like it. I got a lot good publicity. I would say in Daytona this year in the LMP two car. I started the race in the LMP two car. I started the race with a triple stint. I developed a huge lead in my first stint of the race, 100%. That was due to being very comfortable threshold braking without ABS. And that has come from a year in the WEC. It's cool that it crosses over like that too. Yeah, you bet. bet. Yeah, I mean, car control is car control and what you're doing with your hands, your feet, your eyes and all that stuff. I mean, it's it's applicable. It's applicable across across platforms in different ways, but it's still applicable, right? Well, yeah. You know, before, it takes a while to develop. You know, before, when you're going in and you have a lockup, well, what's your natural reaction? Your natural reaction is to hit the brake harder. Oh, shit, I'm going to run off the track. It takes a while to develop a a feel for, okay, either I just locked up or I'm just getting ready to lock up. How can I get out of this situation and still make it through the corner? Right. It's definitely taken a while to develop that skill, but now that I have it, it's nice to have. 
It's an attention getter. I know that. (laughs) (laughs) Having been there many, many times, it's when you drive in like that and you're like, I might have been 10 meters too deep. Oh, crap. (laughs) 10 meters too deep at 10 tenths is is a lot of space, man. I, I totally get that. Let's stick with racing for just a few more minutes, if you don't mind. And I'd like to get your, uh, your take on how we're going to get back to motorsport as we start to bring people out of their houses. And, and do you think the rest of this season is a, a, non, a non-spectator deal at the professional level? Or where, what do you think? I, I have to give a disclaimer. Sure. <laughs> this is my opinion. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Am I putting yeah. you on the spot too much? If I am, no, 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 it's fine. Okay. I, I have no problem giving my opinion. Okay. Uh, I have been doing it enough at home and at the office that I realize that it's going to be very unpopular with a lot of other people. There are a lot of doomsday preppers out there who have been waiting for this moment their entire lives, and they're finally being able to say they're right. What I will say is that I am of the opinion. That, that we should get back to racing. And I am of the opinion that we will uh, get back to racing. People get amnesia pretty quickly. When you think about the fact that this whole thing started six weeks ago, this whole thing started six weeks ago. We've already gone from the climb of the hill. We're back down the other side of the curve I believe that we are going to slowly flatten out into it being a, a, a non-issue. I certainly uh, hope that we do. I, I be, you know, to me, clearly, the peak of this deal is past us. To me, if that is true, then it's happened within the last six weeks. I believe that everything will be pretty back to normal by the end of May. Again, I'm not a medical professional. This is my opinion. I, I don't want to get into any arguments. No, and, and I didn't, I didn't uh, ask that question for, uh, for, that, but, to, for uh, that to happen, but, but I totally understand uh, what you're saying. It is, uh, you know, I'll say that, you know, to talk about business for a minute, I, I'm very grateful to be able to say that the government has deemed car dealerships as being essential. We have been open every day at all 18 dealerships for the last uh, six weeks. You know, we haven't closed at all because of this pandemic event. I've got 1,500 employees and we are dealing with the public every day. I'm not aware of a single case in my organization. And evidently you guys are, you're doing it right. Well, that's the deal. My deal is as long as you do it right, you should do it. There's no reason to avoid doing all this stuff out of a fear. The only reason you should have fear is if you don't do it right. You know, it'd be the same as, you know, hopping into a race car and going racing without harnesses, without seatbelts, without a fire suit, you know, without a helmet. You're not saying that that this whole COVID thing isn't real. You're just saying that take the precautions – that you know that you need to take with your employees, yourself, the general public that comes in. We need if to you digging. take the precautions, you got nothing to be afraid of. Right. Clearly, it exists. It is real. Yeah, it does no. exist. It is a virus. I'm of the camp that believes if you are in a high-risk category, 
And you need petite, to come to the racetrack. Right. Then Petit Le Mans might not be the event that you want to attend. Watch it on TV. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope I get to see you at Petit Le Mans later this year. I really do. Me too. Um, let's let's uh, let's let's get back to something a little happier, and we'll we'll close it out on this last train of thought. What is it that's in Ben Keating's personal garage right now that you really, really, really love? Like, do do you have one baby in the garage? that you love above all, or is it really tough considering you've got the Viper exchange and you have access? Well, to and- so, you know, I have some cars that are, you know, collectibles, uh, that are really cool. You know, and it, you know, I, I've got the, uh, the Viper that was owned by Bob Lutz when he was president of Chrysler. Oh, I've got do you really? The, the Viper that was owned by that's Ralph cool. Geel when he was president of Dodge. The white one? Uh, no, before that, before, ACR okay. One, okay. the voodoo car. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I've got Ralph's Michigan license plate that says voodoo, and I've got Bob's Michigan license plate that says GTSR. You know, I love those cars. You know, I have a 2017 car that I built specifically for myself to keep. I've got the the GT3R uh, race Viper that won Daytona in 2015. I've got the GTSR Viper that I raced at Le Mans in 2015. I've got the GT3 Wins AMG race car in the garage. And I have the Wins Ford GT race car that I raced at Le Mans. That retro yeah. Wins livery, by the way. Yeah. Oh, that's just, yeah. oh my God. The first time y'all rolled that out, I was just like, yay. That's, that's no, uh, kind of the, the two cars that, what I think the coolest car in my garage is the Force One. So <clears throat> Henrik Fisker and I worked on a project to build an American supercar. And we started with the Viper as a base. And Henrik did all the design stuff mm-hmm. of the exterior and interior. We did all the performance work and, uh, you know, we didn't build very many of them. It's the coolest car to drive, to, to look at, to, to, to be around, to sit in. My favorite car to drive specifically uh, as a driver's car is I have a, an 06 Ford GT Heritage. And, uh, you know, that's the car that, you know, really it went. When I'm, I drive, I'm shocked by that. When I drive that car, I go, man, this just makes driving fun. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I thought I could show you a picture of it, but I can't see it from outside. <laughs> my- <laughs> I'm driving it today. You're literally daily driving a Heritage Edition Ford GT. Yes. I love you for that, man. Which is an interesting story because I had Ford GT uh, on MSO, brand new. And I felt guilty every time I drove it because they were bringing so much money. And so I sold it and I bought a Heritage with 10,000 miles on it already so that I could drive it and I wouldn't feel guilty about putting more miles on it. What's blow, what blows my mind about the, the original GT is the appreciation that they've gone through over the last couple of years. Those cars are actually bringing really good money these days. Well, and they have for a long time. And yeah. it's exactly. That reason, I, I mean, I can't describe it other than to say it is amazing to drive. It, it sounds great. It, it it performs great. But, you know, it's one of those cars that when you get behind the wheel and you drive it, 
you feel like a driver. You feel like, man, you know, this is really something special. You have to row the gears and all that good stuff. And it's, yeah, yeah, you're connected to it. It's, and it does harken back to the sixties and it harkens back to the, the originals in a way that I'm not sure the last iteration of the Ford GT really does. The last iteration of the Ford GT to me anyway, is it's very 2020. It's very, you know, current gen hypercar. I'll say I have a 2020 heritage being built right now. The biggest negative of this COVID-19 deal is that they had to stop building my car. Uh, (laughs) uh, But, um, you know, I have one of those coming. It is very different. It is very 2020. Performance-wise, the new car is, uh, it's a way better performer. Oh, yeah. Uh, the aerodynamics are unbelievable. The uh, the weight is unbelievable. The power to weight ratio, everything is performance wise. The car is just incredible. Doesn't feel as much like a, a real driving experience as it does when you're shifting the gears. Yeah, the, the 06 is analog. The new car is digital, basically. It's, that's right. It, yeah, you know, that, that, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, the new car is stunning. I, I do. I want to get your take on this, and and then we'll we'll wrap it up after I get your take on this because you have a 2020 coming. Do you feel this is going to be a tough question to ask a Ford dealer too, and someone who raced with Ford? Do you feel they put the right motor in the new car in the new Ford GT? Do you think that the EcoBoost is? I think you know where I'm where I'm going with this because I literally I'm like if they'd have put that Voodoo motor in there, oh my god. Okay, I, but. Hey. Uh, help me, help me, help me feel better about the EcoBoost choice. First of all, I'm going to tell you everybody's opinion about something is based on a comparison. I have no idea what the Voodoo motor is. Oh, the GT350 motor. Ah, okay. Uh, the flat plane crank okay. five two. Uh, so yes, I'll tell you. I think they put the right motor in the car. Now, I do not have an emotional connection to that motor. I do not have an emotional connection to the EcoBoost. When I hit the throttle on my 06 Ford GT and you hear the whine of the supercharger, you hear the exhaust scream. And 5.4 uh, liters uh, going. Uh, uh, that's pushing. right. Uh, yeah. that, that is very emotional. I don't get that on the EcoBoost. But the question, you know, so is there an emotional connection? No. Did they put the right motor in? Absolutely. Uh, Alex alone? uh, Well, two things. Number one, if you look at the the design of that tail section, if you're going to let all the air go through those flying buttresses on the back, you don't have much room back there. You're not going to put a big V8 back there and have all that room. The size of the engine allows them to do a lot more with the design of the aero, the design of the body. That makes uh, sense. I think it allows them to put the weight lower. That car has the lowest center of gravity of any car I've ever raced. It feels and is designed more like a prototype. Yeah. than any GT car out there. Yeah, when it uh, first hit the field in in um, in the states you know, at Daytona, the first time they ran it at Daytona, all of us were basically saying, "That's a DP." <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, well, and one of the, in my opinion, one of the reasons for that is the Echo Boost V6 is just a small package. 
Uh, they can put it lower. Uh, it gives them more room to do stuff. And then also uh, you get the, uh, the, the power to weight ratio. You know, the engine is a big factor when it comes to weight. The fact is they've got a ton of miles, whether you're talking about, you know, Ganassi racing that engine in a DP, having it turned up to 800 horsepower or whatever they had it turned up to, yeah. or you're talking about a, uh, an F-150, you know, they've got millions upon millions of miles on that motor. Uh, and, uh, you know, they can do whatever they need to do from a performance perspective. They can get all the power they can possibly use out of that motor. And it's a small package. It's a lightweight package. It's extremely reliable package. Because of all those reasons, yes. I think they did the right, <laughs> right, okay, right. Engine. Okay, that's it's totally fair. It's to, it's it's an opinion. It's just an opinion, and I wanted I wanted to get your take on it. The, the basically, what, building the car is performance. Yeah. In '06, it was emotional. Yeah, it was it was to pull on the heartstrings of the GT40s of the mid '60s, and it did it. It did it. It, it worked. <laughs> it totally both, worked. Both cars uh, uh, achieved their purpose. I may have gotten caught up in the 06 launch. And when I saw the brand new car, it didn't tug the heartstrings like the 06 cars did. It didn't, it didn't tug the heartstrings as, as much. Now, if I just, if I look at it, if I look at a new GT parked beside a Zonda or a, you know, a, a Jira or something along those lines, it fits. I think it fits with, with those cars. Yeah. It sits with those cars and it looks like it belongs there. Whereas the 06 car doesn't really yeah. kind of go in the, in that in that genre. Um, I totally get it, man. I, I just I just wanted your opinion on it, Ben Keating. Thank you so much for your time. Um, if there's anything left to say on that subject, I'm going to let you say it. And if there's anyone that is particularly helpful to you as far as what you do with either the dealerships or your racing programs that you would like to say thank you to take the time to do it because, uh, you, you know, bet. I really appreciate your time coming on with us. Well, no yeah. uh, before, uh, you know, before we started the show, you mentioned that I could talk about anything, uh, uh up to and including, you know, uh, a bicycle collection. The fact is I have quite a few bicycles. Do you really? Uh, okay. Uh, 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 <laughs> I didn't know that. I just threw it out you, there. You hit the nail on the head by accident. Uh, uh, I do have a decent bicycle collection and I have been dealing with this lockdown shelter in place with a little retail therapy. You know, over the last six weeks, I've bought three new bicycles. Road, uh, mountain uh, or both? Uh, both. Okay. Both. That's my favorite way to stay fit. And I just thought it was ironic that you, uh, you use that as an example. I have to say that as far as a partner, in business and in racing, I have to give a shout out to Wins. You know, that relationship started uh, a couple of years ago pretty much by accident. You know, IMSA asked uh, the competitors to come up with a retro livery for their 50th anniversary deal. Okay. We literally got on the internet and typed in IMSA GTP liveries because there is no retro AMG livery right 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 and we pulled up the uh the the hotchkiss porsche uh, wins livery and i said hey i do business with those guys i'll call them and oh my uh, god out of the blue i called them 
I do a bunch of business with them at my dealerships. Uh, the conversation went really, really well. Obviously, uh, we've gone from there, uh, and it's so much fun. Those people are car people. You know, uh, they're like me in that they work. They work with cars, and their recreation is cars. And and uh, there are a lot of B to B business to business deals uh, uh, that work, and there are a lot of them that don't work. Uh, and this is one where it has just been awesome for us to get to know each other. Uh, uh, you know, there've been a lot of things that have come out of the relationship, uh, uh, you know, whether it's That's helping cool. at the dealership or, uh, racing in IMSA or racing in, uh, in the world endurance, we have become bigger fans of each other and it's been a great partnership. That's so. very cool. Yeah. I, I had, I don't know whether anybody, I guess somebody knows that some people know that that's how that came together, but that is, that's, that's cool to hear, man. Like you designed or you went out to find a retro livery, didn't even have a sponsor, looked at that and went, Oh, I, there's a little bit of a, a relationship there. Let's see if we can make it deeper. And now a couple of years later, you're, you're racing all over well, the world together and you're bringing the, some really good looking cars to the racetrack. Well, thank you. It's been fun to it's been fun to design them. It's been fun to do it. They have enjoyed doing it. Also, they've been they've enjoyed being part of it. That's uh, cool. Yeah, you know, it's very the cool. The 50th anniversary for IMSA coincided with the 80th anniversary for Wins. Okay. The same okay. year, they already had a budget set aside to celebrate the 80th year. Luckily, we got to do a lot of that at the racetrack. That's amazing. That's that's yeah. amazing how things like that come together. And I mean, you, you went looking for it, but you didn't really know where it was going to come from. And then it turns into a much deeper, longer lasting relationship as a result. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, ben Kading, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on No Driving Gloves today. We really, really do appreciate the time. We know you're a very busy man. 18 dealerships in Texas, the Viper Exchange, uh, still roll. I, I checked out Viper Exchange before we got on this. I want an ACR Extreme so bad. I got to I got to drive those cars when I was with SRT. I, yeah, Sean, that's so interesting. I want to sell an ACR Extreme you really? so bad. Hang out for just a minute. Don't go anywhere. Right. I'm going to sign off. This has been Sean Yoder with Ben Keating on No Driving Gloves. You can find us all over social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, we will release this podcast in the coming weeks. It's going to be probably a week and a half, two weeks before we release this show. Uh, you'll be able to find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever fine podcasts are downloaded and listened to. Uh, again, Ben Keating has been our guest today. Thank you so much for your time, Ben. I'm going to return you to your day already in progress. This is Yoda saying bye. We'll talk to you soon. Everybody have a great rest of the week and weekend and all that good stuff and get back out there and play with your cars. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. See ya. <laughs>